Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. We are recording with Brian on the other side of the mic, a rare occasion. What an opportunity. For those of you who don't know Brian McAndrew, he's mastering all the podcasts for many years, has to sit through all these people yakking about whatever. Are you taking out the ums and ahs, or are we just letting it run? No, I let them go, unless, of course, me, when I have to listen to myself, I'm going to obviously clean myself up. (laughs) He's sitting in there spending five hours on his podcast. So he sounds authoritative, everything out of his mouth. There's no uhs. It's always a perfect sounds, answer. It sounds impeccable. <laughs> so we're checking in here, another checkpoint along the journey that started way back in, I, I believe it was April of 2016. Yeah. We were at my parents' house in Woodland Hills filming all these different food lineups of what is this keto thing anyway? What's 50 grams of carbs per day? Mm-hmm. Wow, he get, gets up there pretty quick. Uh, and we, we decided to try it out, and I believe that's been, that's been your game since then without interruption, huh? Uh, I wouldn't say without interruption. Even, well, not counting your wedding and the cake in your face. On but this. even in the last, because, I mean, we haven't, I don't think we've seen each other in person for a while. In the last year, I've done, I think I refer to it to Lindsay as A-B testing is basically doing a month or so of something very different. But then I always kind of fall back into keto, and it still is sort of my default way of eating. But I've taken three weeks or a month to try other eating patterns just to kind of compare and contrast. Am I just doing this keto thing because I, you know, it's sort of the thing right now, or do I actually feel and perform and like this way of eating and, you know, as a way to test it? So I've done, you know, a month of higher carb, more meals, more leaning towards a carnivore, like super high protein approach. For a month. Yeah, you know, not exactly a month, but, you know, I'll do a specific sort of test, you know, for a few weeks, a month, and then see, you know, did I like this better, like it worse, and... Dang, we should do a whole book on that. That's a that's a cool idea. It's like a month of this, month of this, month of this. I've I for thought a year. Yeah, I mean, and because I think you really can do most, especially if you're just doing it temp, you know, for a short period of time. You could do almost any popular diet out there, and probably you know put it together in a pretty healthy way. You know, knowing what you know about nutrition and primal right. principles. Vegan month. Yeah, you could do. You but could, you're getting, you, could, you know. <laughs> You could do a primal what vegan month. What would you month. do for a vegan month? And yeah, just see what you know. Just see what happens. I believe that if you did it right and you at least did it temporarily, you know, any diet you can make work more or less. Right. So these A/B tests do not include Seven Eleven Slurpees and no. Skittles and things. No. Uh, but what are you testing for? Like, are you are you pricking the finger? Or are you just trying to see if no. your workouts are no, different? No, completely. Uh, workout, workout performance, and then just subjective. How do I? Feel? feel and ultimately what keeps pulling me back to keto is sort of the I guess the ease of being able to skip meals so I still like that sort of uh, minimalist approach of not being bound to a like a rigid meal structure because I do find when I go back to more of like a high carbohydrate paradigm 
I become more reliant on those meals, which isn't which isn't bad to say, you know, eating three square meals a day isn't is not a bad thing. You know, I don't want to like frown upon it. Eating healthy food three times a day, that's that's great. Uh, but you but I like I like that freedom like, of being sort of un untethered, you know. Yeah. Well, I notice uh, increasing carb intake. You wake up the next morning, and you can feel some hunger. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. It's fine, totally. Yeah. And it could be even productive if you, you know, you're chasing uh, ambitious athletic goals. Mm-hmm. You know that that increased hunger could be a good thing. And then in terms of you know looking at my performance in the gym, I've honestly found it to be a wash. You know, no, no matter what I do, I'm not noticing any huge. Uh, you know, drastic changes, and mainly that's because of the. I think the type of workouts I do is strength based, and I think this is not like a very glycolytic sport, and it doesn't really matter what your carb count or really, you know, eat healthy food, and it's it. You know, it's all the lifestyle factors and the quality of your workouts that's going to make a difference. Right, you're talking about strength bases. You're not doing these crazy, prolonged, 40-minute classes of repeated energy expenditure. You're no. going and doing sets of deadlift, yep. sets of compound yep. movement with rest. Yep. And so if we had a stopwatch on you, like, you know, the NFL football <laughs> game that lasts four hours, the Super Bowl, uh, the, the actual action with the is, ball in play is 11 minutes in an yep. NFL game. Yeah, so I may be in the gym for an hour, an hour and a half, but the actual time spent doing work is in probably embarrassingly small. You're not draining your 400 grams of glycogen with nope. six sets of deadlift. And so that's why I, it doesn't really matter matter whether I had, you know, 300 grams of carbs and a timed workout shake or if I'm, you know, cruising on 50 grams of carbs and I've got enough in my, you know, glycogen tanks to get through the workout. Right, and also you're mentoring, mentioning those other variables, and it reminds me of, yeah, I consult with Dr. Kate Shanahan a lot, and I'm talking about, well, you know, I was keto then, and then I was doing this workout, and a couple times, she, maybe I was complaining too long or something, but she, she overrided the whole thing, and she said, you know, not everything is tied to what you ate equals workout performance or energy during the day. Maybe you're having a stressful month. Oh, yeah. And whatever you eat, you're going to feel like crap and vice versa. I know there's some great, I know there's some great studies out there that, you know, showed that people working out their workout performance, you know, decreased during, you know, finals week or Mm -hmm. whether they had an argument with their spouse, you know, these things definitely had an impact on their workout performance. And it totally makes sense, you know, from the sort of allostatic stress load viewpoint. Oh, there's also studies where, like, you get the, the dudes in the gym, and if you have some uh, some some hot chicks parading by, uh-huh, yeah. or I, I don't want to be sexist on this show, it's like you get the girls out there doing their, uh, 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 their boot camp class, and you bring in, you know, the Chippendales dancers from Vegas, you're going to get a massive elevation yeah. in, in workout output just from environment. Yeah. Yep. Or what I know, like when I used to do uh, pull-ups and I was getting near the end of the set of pull-ups, if a human made their presence, I would, I would crack and I would end, especially if they said something like, oh, you're doing pull-ups? I'd be like, <laughs> you know, like when I'm really focused and trying to get like a, a good effort going yeah. to the gym, 
anyone around me, I oh. get all I get all freaked out and I drop the bar. I mean, I like working. I mean, I work out in you know just a twenty four hour fitness, and if I don't get the right you know squat rack, where instead of having like an empty wall, I have to face somebody facing back at me. It's like, Hate oh it. no, <laughs> I get all pissed. I'm, yeah, the worst can't. thing is like someone. Yeah, we went to Hawaii. It was a great <laughs> vacation. It was epic weather. I'm like, will you shut up? You're in a gym. Don't talk. Anyway. And yeah, so to me, those are the things that are going to have more of an impact than, uh, you know, my dietary strategy for that month. Oh, good. You brought it back. I like how, <laughs> I like how professional that was. Uh, so one of the things you tested was more carbohydrate intake, more, mm-hmm. more re- meals. Those are going to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did you try for a month? Sort of a carnivore adjacent I think is the term people use. We're not complete <laughs> Another carnivore. Another new book title. <laughs> but uh, sort of a minimalist diet of uh, sort of just overloading protein. So not – probably still carbs are low, but uh, probably not in ketosis just because um, I'm not really worrying about my protein count. Mm. I'm just eating maybe two or three meals of mostly meat. Uh, and then, yeah, that was that was sort of it. But also other little things like I actually, so my carbs from that were a lot of times uh, like some bit, bit of alcohol, like a gluten-free beer or something. And I, that was like a very satisfying meal would be steak and like a gluten-free beer. Uh, and it's not ketogenic, but it was just, you know, a different way of eating, this different pattern. It's not carnivore either. It's not, yeah, it's not carnivore. It's <laughs> no beer in the carnivore diet. Dang. <laughs> Well, we were talking yesterday off the mic, and we got to get into this carnivore thing a little more because Mm -hmm. I notice it's kind of going crazy. It's getting very popular underground maybe, and now there's these prominent people stepping forward. I just heard Paul Saladino talk, uh, a highly trained uh, doctorate-level student of this stuff. And he made such a compelling case to Ben Greenfield. He was he was swinging Ben Greenfield over, you know, the guy who has a kilo of broccoli sprouts in his freezer. And Dr. Saladino saying, yeah, that's exactly the wrong thing that you don't want to eat because it has all these plant defense mechanisms. And he was making this case that the hunter-gatherer, the human diet, was only because a lot of times we were crappy at hunting. And so we had to get these inferior nutritional things that we call plants and a plant-based diet. And you're like, wow, that's a pretty heavy statement and a heavy argument. I always take issue when people, I mean, prehistory is this massive time period that we know it's sort of a big question mark. And I get a little bit annoyed whenever people will jump to a big conclusion about how we behaved in, you know, this prehistoric time and say, well, that's, that makes sense. Why we would eat this way? Whether it's, oh, we didn't have time to eat in the morning because we were out chasing game, so we should do a morning fast. Or, oh, we were always, you know, the, you hear these big... Right. Well, Dr. Tommy Wood got, got me good <laughs> when he said, you know, all this sports crap that we do right now is, is completely modern... Mm-hmm. entirely in conflict with our hunter-gatherer past and our genetic expectations for health. We're not supposed to run marathons. It's nonsense. You know, we're supposed to track game for maybe uh, 20 miles 
and then not run again for weeks. I But, mean, it's you know, so the the carb intake and this mm -hmm. this whole thing needs to be couched in like, what are you doing? And we're also working our brains for eight hours a day mm -hmm. at very high volume cognitive performance. And so the hunter gatherer was sitting around throwing rocks into the pond. He didn't need to have <laughs> yeah. you know Starbucks at three p.m. So when people are saying, oh, like they're imagining that we're just chasing meat and that we wouldn't have time or we wouldn't want to be uh, pursuing these other forms of calories. I mean, that's maybe one one period and group of people of, you know, this prehistoric time. But what about, I'm sure there was times where we weren't in cities, but we were probably very sedentary and, you know, in one spot in like a camp. And, you know, we're going to exploit every niche of that ecosystem just as someone investing would want to diversify their portfolio of stocks. You want to have the stuff you're getting from the river, the stuff you're hunting, the stuff you've got growing underground, you know, you know where you got your roots, and you want to have as many different things Survival as possible. Survival strategy. Yeah, so I mean, just these broad conclusions that they're imagining maybe one type of, you know, ice age hunter pursuing meat, and oh, he wouldn't stop for the, for the roots or shoots or berries. Um, I yeah, guess so I mean, the argument now is we can eat whatever we want, mm -hmm. whenever we want. So, should we have three square meals a day? And now I think the consensus in, in our movement here is like, wait a second, we got to rethink some mm -hmm. of this stuff just because we can. Mm -hmm. Should we do it? And so, if you're kind of trending that way, and I, one, one thing that I really appreciate that um, Dr. Saladino said and reminds me of our argument about fasting is that your body manufactures antioxidants internally, mm -hmm. especially glutathione, the super antioxidant. This is something that we make, mm -hmm. especially when we're fasting, challenging ourselves with a workout, putting our cells under stress, same with autophagies kicked into gear when we're fasting, putting our cells under workout stress. And so we have all these wonderful mechanisms to be healthy, even if we don't eat a whole bunch of blueberries three times a day and yeah. have our acai bowl and yeah. all that stuff. And I think that's I think that's the kind of the coolest contribution of these, you know, the carnivore diet community. They've made a contribution. Yeah, opening the door to I guess even more pointing to the fact that it's what we're not eating that's probably mm. more important, getting rid of the junk. Mm -hmm. And uh, a healthy diet doesn't have to be complicated. You know, mm -hmm. uh, meat really is sort of a baseline food that if you get that, you know, if you get sort of the healthy animal products right as your baseline, as sort of the essential component. You don't have to worry about all the trivial things surrounding it. You don't need the acai bowl and the broccoli sprouts. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they envisioned what does healthy eating look like, you know, whether it was like a vegan plate of vegetables and quinoa and, oh, I need to have every color of the rainbow on my plate and saying, well, wait a minute. Actually, you can do pretty well if you just focus on this essential group of foods And everything else is maybe less important than we thought. Well, when we're fasted, mm -hmm. that's our top yeah. metabolic function. Our Dr. Devaney said we're most human when we don't eat. Mm -hmm. And so 
He made a story about the lion who sleeps 20 hours a day and then goes and gets his food and sleeps 20 hours a day. And, you know, the analogy is like we're overstuffing ourselves yeah. with energy around the clock practically and causing all kinds of oxidation, inflammation, uh, accelerated yeah, growth factors in the bloodstream. I mean, the, di- the diseases of today are all ones of overnutrition, not undernutrition. So for at least people inter- even with a passing interest in healthy living, I don't think they're not going to, you know, what's going to eventually take them is probably not going to be their lack of a certain vital nutrient or something. Unless like they're doing some freaky, crazy diet thing. Denise Minger, uh, Raw Food SOS, extremely popular blog and a great following where she was doing the raw macrobiotic mm-hmm. diet, thinking that she wanted to be as healthy as possible, extreme health enthusiast. And her teeth started falling out, her hair started falling out, and she became a prominent leader in the um, ancestral health yeah. space saying that, hey, this meat stuff. And so to uh, appease the listener who might be inclined toward plant-based living and veganism, um, when we talk about animal foods, we're talking about sourcing quality stuff mm-hmm. rather than the garbage that we can now purchase that, uh, you know, eggs in a carton mm-hmm. coming from a chicken coop where they were kept alive, uh, kept awake day and night with bright lights on their on their face and fed hormones pesticides antibiotics that's different than a pasture raised egg where you crack it open and the color of the yolk is widely disparate you have more nutritional value less objection same with the red meat i mean people still say well i'm not eating red meat i'm just eating chicken and fish (laughs) and then dr kate shanahan kind of smart wrote a lot of books and a lot of content saying those are inferior nutritional profiles to red meat so if you think you're doing yourself a solid just get the highest quality sourced animal products hopefully sustainable and all those things are met with some they're meeting those standards too a little bit better but yeah and that's something else we we talked about off the mic yesterday was that if you're going to choose to do a carnivore diet and you're going to source all that stuff, you know, the right way. $60 a day, man. That Dave Cobrin. <laughs> that's an expensive ass yeah, diet. Dave Cobrin, my guest on the Get Over Yourself podcast with his awesome morning routine. He did a month of carnivore. He's like, hey, man, I'm doing it right. So you get the pastured eggs, wild-caught salmon, and the grass-fed ribeye steak. And I think his number was 60 bucks a day. When you think about the guy eats a lot of food, he works out a lot, right? So you're getting however many couple few thousand calories of mm-hmm. ribeye steak you're starting to hit that cash register. Yeah, so my take is... <laughs> sardines! <laughs> yeah. I'm, this or, show is sponsored by Brian McAndrew's Sardines. <laughs> no, I think you definitely can do a carnivore diet, but it's where I kind of part ways is that people who are saying that vegetables are harmful. Where I honestly, from a very pragmatic view, look as vegetables as innocuous filler that's way you know it's way cheaper for me to fill my plate with cabbage that i can add flavor to and you know a modest you know amount of animal protein not more than i need and then fill my plate with you know something cheap like cabbage or broccoli and this you know i take issue with people who say that cabbage or broccoli is harmful to me i mean maybe if you have a severe autoimmune thing that's one thing but that's like a very small niche and if people start thinking that like oh to be healthy i can't eat vegetables that's that's not a path that i want to go down well sort of as a a transition separate point but it reminds me of what we were talking about off the mic yesterday where 
you have your eating preferences、mm-hmm. for the pleasure and enjoyment of your life, and、mm-hmm. part of that pleasure and enjoyment of life is eating stuff that you believe to be healthy and nourishing、mm-hmm. for you. And we've been told that vegetables are healthy, and we've told that grass-fed meat and pasture-raised eggs and sardines are healthy. So we have all those factors, and we we want to enjoy our life. But what if we said on this podcast right now, listener, that you could gain twenty percent benefit on peak performance? As well as add twenty percent longevity. So instead of living to eighty, you're going to be a hundred. If you only ate salmon, eggs, and ribeye steak the rest of your life, I'm just speculating.、Mm-hmm. Like, would it be something? Would you consider that and not eat cabbage ever again because it's going to kill you and give you cancer? Would you be able to do that?、Uh, I, what's I, the payoff? You know, what does it take? Yeah, and I think. What I don't think you have to make the choice. I think you view those animal foods. If that's like you know that, if you're eating mostly that, but you still sprinkle in the other things, it's not like you're losing a hundred percent of those benefits. If you had gone a hundred percent that route that you're talking about, that gave you the extra twenty years. You know, say if you're splitting the difference,、yeah. and, but you're leaning more towards it, you're still getting maybe eighty percent of those benefits. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. You know, who knows? Twenty years from now, people are going to be making fun of us for all the horrible advice we dispense, <laughs> and that Seven Eleven Slurpees three times a day is the key to longevity, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we can probably say that's not going to happen. But you know, this this discussion with、um, the, the carnivore enthusiasts or someone making a good case, or the the plant based people making a good case, it's like I would probably say,、uh, I'll do it. If you tell me I'm getting 20% longevity and 20% on peak performance, if I never again eat blank,、um, it, th- but, there's you know, it's but, worth thinking about. But if you, if and if you, they're wrong, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying if you did that, if you did that 90% of the way, wouldn't you get 90% of the benefit? So if you were mostly eating that way, but you still sprinkled in your dark chocolate here and there. Uh, you've had a salad when you felt like it. Wouldn't you still get you know ninety percent of the benefits? Yeah, most likely.、Uh, and also, you know, someone who's generally metabolically healthy and wants to start their day with、uh, a green juice that's got a lot of sugar in it,、mm-hmm. and have some ice cream once in a while. But their blood numbers look good, and they're they're、mm-hmm. this and they're that, and they're athletic.、Um, it's probably not going to kill them.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but This brings another transition point here, where you give an inch and you take a mile. Especially modern human who wants to indulge in all manner of luxuries,、mm-hmm. and pretty soon,、uh, in my case, like you know, my my plan B from my strict keto experiment back in the time when we were working on the book and we were starting out in two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. Then I,、uh, inspired by Dr. Tommy Wood, Chris Kelly, Nourish Balance Thrive, they they were looking at my blood profiles and my athletic. Uh, training uh, uh, protocol and my age, and going, dude, you might need to eat more food because you're trying to do a lot of cool stuff with your body. You're over fifty years old. Your blood is,、um, you know, looking good as far as risk factors. But I had a, like sluggish thyroid and certain、mm-hmm. markers that they track that might benefit from eating more food. So I started eating more food. I started performing better, recovering faster, because I had used that keto to such an extent that my appetite was regulated. And then I'd go do a sprint workout and wouldn't eat for a while、mm-hmm. after. And then two days later, as an old guy doing crazy young dude stuff, 
um, I was start, starting to experience some troughs. Mm-hmm. And this is just me in particular. Mark Sisson, different body, different person. He eats very few calories a day, mm-hmm. and he performs exceptionally well in the gym. He's got no complaints. He does great. Uh, but I started to benefit from eating more food. <laughs> and then, as you know, um, months go on, time goes on. Uh, there's a bowl of popcorn that happens to present itself, and then half of it's gone before I, I serve it to the family. And I started to kind of get loosey-goosey with some of my uh, dietary practices. Mm-hmm. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't uh, uh, root beer floats. But I noticed in my, in my daily life patterns mm-hmm. um, Less structure, mm-hmm. less focus, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly, uh, you know, diminishing my appreciation of life and food because I was back into, um, you know, the indulgent mindset of like whatever I can eat. Yeah, I eat one square of chocolate or seven; it doesn't matter to me, and so I might as well eat seven. Yeah, there was uh, an interesting book called I think The Paradox of Choice that his whole case was Oh yeah. that more right. the more choices we have the less right. happy we are with, yeah. you know, our our decision because you're always second guessing. The car example, like you, you go to the car dealership mm-hmm. and there's uh, you know, Roseville Auto Mall is the world's the America's largest. There's like 20 dealers mm-hmm. in one place. And you feel like crap when you drive out of there with a new car because you went around to, to 20 different dealers. Whereas if there's two, you made that choice. Yeah. And I went with the Kia, man, and I'm so happy because the other one was crappy comparatively. Ooh, that's same thing in food, huh? I think so. I think, yeah, having a limited options, that's another thing I think people find value in like a ketogenic food list. Even if they weren't even to pay attention to their macros, if they just stuck to that list, you know, you limit yourself to, you know, green fibers, veggies, meat, you know, meat and nuts and whatever. Just seeing that food list is probably enough for a lot of people. But yeah, I think it's just finding like what we were talking about that the the right amount of rigidity. You don't mm-hmm. want to be overly rigid, right? But finding some sort of structure, whether that be your eating schedule, you know, you you set, I eat at these times, and it probably doesn't matter what those times are, but you, just the fact that you have you have a set structure that you follow, and that that sort of takes some of the daily decision making out of the equation, and you're less, you know, you have less opportunities to make a bad decision. Right, and then there's that other level of just. Um making you a better person because mm-hmm. you have some regulation. We know that emotional regulation, I talk about this on Get Over Yourself podcast, I have relationship experts on. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the themes of the show. And um, controlling your emotions mm-hmm. is a huge, Chris Gage, uh, columnist on TheMedium.com, says this is the number one relationship attribute is emotional control and emotional self-stability. And if you don't have it, your partnership is doomed to fail. There is no number two or number three. You have to be able to regulate and control your emotions in a partnership so you don't blow up at your partner Mm -hmm. every time they left a dish in the sink or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you can build these skills of focus and discipline and not go overboard, like Mm -hmm. you said... 
I think it makes for a more uh, richer, more meaningful life. And I, uh, I'm making the, the thought in my, the connection in my mind about my morning cold plunge. Mm-hmm. It's like, why am I doing that? It's crazy. People are like, what are you doing, dude? Even in the pouring rain or a cold winter morning, I make this practice of going into my side yard, opening up the chest freezer and going in there and doing 20 deep breath cycles every day when I'm home. And I feel really proud to report this on a public podcast. And the fact that I personally can do something like that with that structure and discipline, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm like loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. I, I do whatever work I decide to do that day, whatever the mood I'm in, same with my workouts. But to have some uh, touch points yeah, it, I think, it carries over into other areas of your life. Yeah, I think a lot of people, that's the main benefit they get from intermittent fasting. Instead of worrying about the minutia of, oh, this is you know, better for... Autophagy. Yeah, it's, yeah. no, it's, it's the actual, it's more of the structure that it's giving you. And that it, say you like to eat bigger meals in the evening, having that period of discipline in the morning allows you to do that. And so you maintain the right balance between rigidity and living life that, you know, it works for people. Yeah, make sure it's the right balance because I told you off camera too, off the mic, that um, I decided after this loosey-goosey thing, I'm like, you know, uh, I might be weighing like six to eight more pounds than uh, when I last checked. And um, uh, I thought I saw my abs a while back. And now, okay, so I said, you know what, I got to do mm-hmm. something just for fun. Uh, I'm not going to eat until noon. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do the morning fasting again. One of my favorite benefits of that is just you wake up, you do your exercise, you go to work. You don't have to depart from yeah. The peak cognitive function occurs yeah. in the morning for most people. Now I just get into it, and then oh my gosh, it's twelve already, uh, and that feels that feels good just because of the uh, focus it provides for work, and also um, you know I'm going to appreciate that meal a little more mm-hmm. when the clock strikes twelve, just because it's you know it's something that has some structure and more meaning mm-hmm. than the fact that I can reach any time for the Hershey's Kisses on the at the front counter. Yeah, and so it does come down to finding what you like what you said, the right balance of rigidity. Oh, that's right. My follow-up was like, okay, some of these days when I'm hungry at 11:15, I'm like, oh crap, uh-huh. it's only 11:15. I have made a commitment to myself to wait till 12, but when that 12 came on a couple occasions, I was pounding everything in sight. And so that's kind of an observation for me to go, oh, okay, so, you know, we got to go with the flow a little bit, and maybe when we experience hunger uh, sensations, it's time to answer those almost mm-hmm. always. Yeah, yeah. And, training for the Tour de France, and it's going to be completely individual, and that's why I don't think anyone we should ever. You know, I think some people feel like uh, shame for eating more than two meals. Like, oh no, I'm I'm eating three meals a day. But like, <laughs> if you're eating three meals and not snacking between, that is like that's structure right there, and if like. No one should be, you know, disparaged for uh, sticking to that structure. You know, that is a structure. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, healthy food, you know, no nonsense foods in between. Right, and, you know, the billion-zillion-dollar diet industry is predicated on just throwing any kind of structure in, and it's going to be successful in some some measure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, carnivore could be... Uh, out of, out of my my first reaction would be, hey, that's not a bad idea mm-hmm. to have that much limitation mm-hmm. if you're trying to lose excess body fat. Oh yeah, it's going to work for you. Same with keto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because keto has introduced the whole practice of 
macro tracking, which mm. was sort of looked down upon initially in the ancestral community. It's like, oh, that's that's lame. And now it's been sort of universally embraced as this great thing. But man, I it's like any if, if there's a technique or technology where you don't have to go through the trouble of you know, whipping out a food scale and getting on an app, like if it's a food list, like carnivore, where you don't have to do anything, wow. that's, you know, you could argue that's a better technology that I don't have to use an app and a Simpler. scale. Yeah. So if it, yeah. you know, it all comes down to whatever works, but I think we've, I think people have maybe overly embraced now, oh, I can weigh and measure everything and, you know, sort of more old school things like meal plans and food lists were sort of boohooed, but they might have some value. Well, if it's more sustainable and less stressful yeah. to have a, a narrow, food, a narrow list, food list, you're going to probably have um, better adherence maybe in the short term mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, dying without your cabbage. <laughs> and in that case, I mean, at least us two dudes on the mic here would say go you know go eat it then yeah right but really if you're more whatever you call it uh intentional with like i love my dark chocolate Mm -hmm. so i was considering starting carnivore trying it for 30 days like one of your things and talking Mm -hmm. to william schufelt and you and you know doing the the due diligence Mm -hmm. and then i'm like uh, I said to William, like, what about my dark chocolate? He's like, okay, man, you could be carnivore with dark chocolate, Brad. Okay, I'm like, all right, then I'll then I'll buy in. I'm 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 getting sold now. But I also just taking it back to your 30 day experiments. Uh, what else? You did the more meals, more carb. Uh, you did quasi carnivore. What was Brian's official trademark term? Oh, carnivore adjacent. I, I didn't come up with that. I think I saw Jason that on the diet. <laughs> He's the author of the Carnivore Jason Diet and podcast. Uh, I think that's it. I, like I said, most of the time I always sort of revert back to this keto style of eating. And even a lot of days, a lot of my meals look carnivore. Um, you know, not out of, I think, uh, I'm trying to avoid vegetables, but just out of pure, you know, I didn't feel like shopping for vegetables and I've got meat and eggs in the house or and so that's going to be my meal. Um, yeah, I mean, also, even if you're really uh, uh, devoted to emphasizing the plants in your diet, mm-hmm. your caloric representation of the foods, you're still oh, yeah. kind of a, a, a carnivore adjacent just because there's more calories in the eggs and the steak yeah, than a those, pile of kale. Yeah, that, that bit of broccoli or kale is you know, contributing very little calorically. Right, right. So maybe that's a... That's another justification for not having to have this blanket restriction on greens with a possible downside, although possible upside, according to some experts. Yeah, I mean, it it might not be that big a deal, right? In the big picture. A couple years ago, I I mean, I just, if I had issues with eating greens, I'd cut them out, but I haven't. I mean, I haven't noticed any benefits of cutting them out. I don't notice any, there's certain things. You know, if I overeat, I'll get gassy or bloated. But I noticed no downsides of eating things like broccoli and cabbage and cruciferous vegetables other than they make me feel more full, mm. you know, which is a good thing. I mean, if especially if you're trying to lose weight, you know, you, you want to – volume does make a difference. And sort of if you have this innocuous filler, um, that can really help you. Well, speaking of not noticing, this is my other question, like – maybe we don't know what we don't know. And so I'm trying to stay open-minded and say, um, 
you know, uh, is my, is, is skipping my 800 calorie oatmeal giant cereal bowl that I had every morning for 20 years in my past life. Um, didn't seem to Mm -hmm. disturb me in any way. I thought it was great and it was healthy. Uh, but it turns out that I was in a carb dependency eating pattern, didn't realize it, acknowledge it, appreciate that and had a vast improvement in my health and energy level and all those things. So is there another step up level to take? And that's kind of, that's, I think that's where the that's keto people point. are trying carnivore, you know, yeah. the, the primal paleo people are trying keto to see if they can access higher peak performance. And it, is it dietary FOMO or is it, is there actually something right. to it? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, maybe we'll both have to do an experiment later this year more. <laughs> It's like the um, supplement scene as well. You know, they're mm-hmm. promising these incredible things. And I, I want to start out as a skeptic because I'm kind of a, a high positive energy guy anyway. Like, that sounds great. I'll try yeah. it. You know, you got you to gotta stay cool at the start mm-hmm. and make a real, you know, uh, but I realistic think, test. Yeah, I think that that general mindset of thinking, oh, maybe there's a 10% more is sort of a dangerous path to walk <laughs> it's down. It's a FOMO, the FOMO diet. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to there's probably things outside of your diet that are going to be much bigger rocks than thinking, oh, I'm going to gain an extra 10% enjoyment of life if I make this drastic dietary change. Maybe it might be time to focus on something else in your life. Hey, man, uh, Peter T is talking about the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And this guy, if you don't know who he is, got a great podcast called The Drive very highly trained, highly knowledgeable, cutting-edge, longevity physician looking at the deepest science of Mm -hmm. all these particulars and nuances of healthy living. And he's spouting that you're going to get most of your results from low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. You're going to get 80% of the way to your longevity potential just by not eating junk food. Yeah, I think you and Mark nailed it in just focusing on getting rid of the grain, sugar, and industrial seed oils and that might be like the <laughs> all you really need all you really need worry about yeah and, and well, everything else what's is the sort of mindset going hand in hand with a relaxed mindset and appreciating your meal times instead of stressing yeah. about what you eat yeah wow yeah that's a big one but again just a, <laughs> if if we haven't talked this through yet I, I really am fascinated by this experience that I've been through in recent times mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I'm a guy who's enjoying my life. I'll have some popcorn once in a while. I'll talk about it on a podcast. I'll have a square of dark chocolate or seven or eight or 12. And is there a cutoff point where it's like, wait, you know, here's Brian saying, you're saying like the opposite of what a lot of people think sometimes. Like keto makes it easier, says Brian, because uh, I can skip meals and not worry about it, whereas if I'm eating more carbs, you know, like the, most people would think the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like keto is impossible, mm-hmm. and I have to skip meals, which is so difficult. No. So it's like you've accessed it's sort of like a secret weapon, a secret formula here, where life's easier and food is more pleasurable for you, arguably, than Mr. Jim uh, uh, Boy's tacos. Yeah, food becomes, I guess, less of a factor, which is. But what about the enjoyment level of your meals on a scale of one to 10? This, I, this hardcore keto guy who's going around sourcing the best food and all that. I honestly, I think that's another reason I keep coming back to the keto thing is I my palate prefers sort of the fattier, saltier foods. If I was like a big, you know, fruit and potatoes guy, mm-hmm. uh, I might eat 
eat that way, but I found that eh, I'm not I'm not crazy about potatoes. Part of my month experiments were eating a lot more fruit, and I was like, eh, fruit doesn't really do it for me. So my palate already trends that way, so it's just sort of embracing. Did it trend that way when you're 16, scarfing down milkshakes uh, in Coos Bay, Oregon? <laughs> I mean, did you have a sweet tooth and then dehabituate away from it? Yeah, I think I did. I think over time I did. Because we all, we we have a genetic sweet tooth, which is profound. It's Mm -hmm. a massive sweet tooth and it's a survival instinct. But the assault of two scoops of ice cream down the street at, what's the name of that place, cousin, that you take me? Salt and Straw. Salt and Straw. (laughs) You know, the assault on the senses of a routine dessert is so overdose from what our ancestors experienced mm-hmm. that really we can we can satisfy that sweet tooth so easily and then we we've overdosed on it for years and decades so mm-hmm. we're all messed up now so pulling that back to saying hey you know dr tommy wood said once in a while an ice cream binge is okay mm-hmm. and i'm like all right man because in <laughs> seattle here there's some of the best ice cream on the planet earth and i'm gonna go have a scoop tonight after our podcast that's great but if you go and do it every single yeah. day and hopefully you're doing it in the not by yourself, uh, you know, in your car. Right. You're doing it in the company of, you know, it's a social occasion yeah. with, you know. Yeah. I mean, even there was a, I forget who told me about this, a study about ingesting the um, uh, refined high polyunsaturated vegetable oils. This nasty, toxic shit that'll kill you and is mm-hmm. killing hundreds of thousands of people every year with that as a dietary centerpiece. But if you have that once in a while, you get this massive antioxidant mm. response. It's like a hormetic stressor. Mm. It doesn't seem like good logic to say, go ahead and have uh, some deep fried onion rings once in a while. But same with a cigarette, you're going to have this mm-hmm. uh, assault uh, to, to defend your body against this invader. And if you want to compare that over to uh, salt and straw ice cream yeah probably not not just okay but you know just fine and part of enjoying life if you do it with you know great awareness and and it's somehow yeah. built into your structure that you've made it for it's yourself. somehow built into your structure and you don't get that slippery slope <laughs> yeah, down slippery. like i report and boy, man, not having popcorn for 10 years and then making some nice giant bowls, I have to admit I ate so much of it so quickly <laughs> because I deprived myself. And now I'm like, now these things are in play where it's like, wait a second, you know, you got to get out of those bad habits mm-hmm. and have full enjoyment of whatever experience you're doing, especially if you go on vacation to yeah. Italy and you're having gelato. Maybe you are having it every night for seven nights and then maybe you're going 90 days without touching it when you're back in wherever vancouver washington for example mm-hmm. camus i don't know oh we gave the listeners so much to think about here yeah i love it man keep it up we'll, right. we'll check in with you again we'll see uh we'll do some more experimenting and the the a b testing book is coming out in 2024 maybe it sounds like a plan thank you listeners write us and tell us what you think info at keto reset.com so Chris Kelly, Nourish Balance Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too per- so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? 
she's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, on. she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs>